Well, good morning. As you can see, I am not Bill Walker. Pastor Walker and Bambi are taking a well-deserved vacation. They are up in Maine visiting family, just enjoying themselves. They should be back Tuesday, so we had to make a call to the bullpen, and there I was. So I'm here this morning, and uh, it's my pleasure to be here with you um, as we look at God's Word. You know, we've been looking at the book of Galatians for the past few weeks, matter of fact, all summer. And let me quickly put this put this in context as we um, unpack today's passages of Scripture. As we've noted before, the Apostle Paul is defending himself against a group called the Judaizers. And just as a reminder, the Judaizers were a group of uh, so-called conservative Christians who went into the church after Paul had left and contradicted Paul's teaching. They were taking what Paul had said and they they twisted it. Uh, In fact, Paul called their gospel... No gospel at all, because the Judaizers were, they were taking a, a, teaching a form of legalism that equates works with faith. And these false teachers, and that's what they were, they were false teachers. These false teachers were teaching the people in Galatia that the way to be right with God was to believe in Jesus and to do the right set of rules, to abide by the right set of rules, which was the, uh, the Mosaic law. And so the Galatian people, they were bewitched into thinking that you start the Christian life by faith, but you complete it by doing works. And Paul, Paul said, this is ludicrous. Paul says, this, this, is, this is impossible. You know, um, his conclusion was that this nullified grace and it dishonored Christ. And, and this, is, this is the backdrop of the text that um, we'll, we'll be looking at uh, this morning, Galatians 3, 23 to 4-7. I think the main... The main context of Galatians is simply this. It's simply this. It is by faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only way to Jesus is by faith. I think pastor said it so well. Christ plus equals... There you go. I can finish. That's that's the book of Galatians. Christ plus nothing equals everything. Now, I'm sure some of you are thinking, all right, we've been in the book of Galatians all summer. Dennis, we get it. We get it. It's, it's faith alone and Christ alone. But you know what? Paul was adamant about this. Paul was adamant about this. Not only in the book of Galatians, as I look at the epistles, and I look at 1 Timothy, I look at 2 Timothy, I look at Titus, Paul was adamant about false teaching. As a matter of fact, the entire New Testament is just... Um, full of constant alarms about those who pervert the way of truth. And that's, that's, that's proclaiming a false gospel. Before we get into the text this morning, allow me to read from Acts chapter 20, starting with verse 28. And this is Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders as he was leaving Ephesus. Listen to what he says. Pay careful attention to, yourself, to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among yourself, own selves, will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Listen, therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears." 
See, Paul was warning the, the Ephesian church that there are false teachers among you. Now, look, I am not su uh, suggesting that we have false teachers here. Matter of fact, this is a strong biblical church. Amen. We've had great teaching over the years. But unfortunately, folks, we are influenced by the culture. And there are a lot of false teachers out there in our culture today, as it was in Paul's day. Now, if I seem somewhat passionate about this, it's, it is because I am. I grew up in a church that taught a false gospel. And by the way, anytime you twist the gospel in any way, it no longer becomes the one true gospel. There's only one way to Jesus Christ. That's the one true gospel. And when you twist it, it no longer becomes the gospel. I grew up in a church that taught a false gospel. I grew up in a church that today influences millions of people. I grew up in a church that has bondage over my family up in Connecticut. Right? So this is, this is very personal to me, uh, and, and, and it concerns me, and it concerned Paul. You know, false teachers are all around us. This is why Paul was so adamant about salvation being faith alone and Christ alone. Remember, God's way of salvation, is, salvation has always been by grace through faith. Is there an amen anywhere in the house? All right, good. Let's pray. Then we'll get on, we'll get on with it. Our Father God, uh, what a privilege it is to stand before this uh, incredible body of believers. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege of just gathering together to proclaim and to worship you. Father, I just pray today, right now, that you would be glorified. So, Lord, we commit this service to you. Amen. You know, um, I'm going to do this the old-fashioned way. I am not Bill Walker. Matter of fact, this is the best you'll get from me right here. Okay? All right? So I decided, why try to be Bill? I'm not Bill. So we're going to do this the old-fashioned way. We're going to open up our Bibles, and we're going to break down the Scriptures one by one. Are you good with that? All right. So if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles out in the foyer. Or you can borrow one. If you don't own a Bible, take one, because we want you to have the Word of God. So... Join with me, if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at Galatians, and we are going to read chapter 3, starting with verse 23. Verse 23. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under its guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. He is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we 
might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. Okay, I mentioned earlier, we're going to break this down verse by verse, starting with verse 23, which says again, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law in prison until the coming faith would be revealed. Now, the Apostle Paul, continuing to comment on the purpose of the law, used two figures of speech, likening the law to a prison and likening the law um, to a um, child-slash-guardian relationship. Now, before faith came simply means before the advent of Christ. However, justifying faith was always operative in the Old Testament, but faith in the person and in the work of Christ did not come until Jesus was revealed. Right? Before that, Israel was under, well, it says a prison, but Israel was, Israel was under like a, a protective custody of the law. Okay? Now, the ESV translation, which I just read from, says we were held captive under the law in prison until the coming faith was revealed. Well, look, let's face it. Right? Uh, the world was beset by sin, and in much need of a redeemer. So in one sense, the law was God's way of providing a, pro- a protective custody over his people, thus shielding them from the heathen pagan rites that surrounded Israel during that day. And further, the law served as a guardian. Look at verse 24. It says, the law, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Well, other translations use the word tutor um, for guardian, but either way, it denotes a slave whose duty it was to take care of a child until they reached adulthood. And, and the guardian or tutor uh, had a lot of control over the children. They would escort the kids to and from uh, school. Um, they, 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 they would um, oversee their behavior at home. Uh, guardians were often very, very strict disciplinarians, uh, so much so that um, um, those under their care would yearn for the day when they would be released from their guardian's custody. And Paul says that the law of Moses had functioned as a guardian in this regard. Its job was was to lead them to a certain point, and that point, of course, was Jesus Christ, who came that we might be justified by faith. Okay? And now it says in verse 25, and now that faith has come, it says, now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Okay? Now, the faith coming was Jesus Christ. See, we are no longer under the law of Moses. All right? uh, faith has come. Jesus Christ has come. Amen. So believers through Jesus Christ have come of age as God's children. All right? We are no longer under the tutelage of the law. Although, although we are obligated, we are obligated to um, obey God's holy and unchanging righteous standards. Okay? That is still our obligation. However, we are not obligated to keep the law of the Old Testament. And we're not justified in keeping the law of the Old Testament. However, Many of its teachings, as you know, have been brought over 
into the new covenant of Christ, the law of Christ. And we are to obey those laws. The Bible says that those who live by faith keep the commandments of Christ. Now, as we continue to talk about law or, or, or works, uh, I think it's very important to understand that Paul does not say that we are free to disobey Christ or to, to disobey his, his commandments. I think it's tragic to suggest that one may be pleasing to the Lord without doing what he says. Jesus says in Luke uh, 626, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? No, no. See, neither God's grace nor our faith override the need to exalt Jesus as Lord of our lives by both our words and our actions. Now look, I, I, I recognize that it, it, it's fashionable today to be a rebel. I recognize that it may be fashionable today to disrespect um, authority. And how unfortunate that is, that just, that just seems to be where we're going. However, um, I recognize that many still recoil at the notion that one must submit to um, and give Christ control of his or her, his or her life in order to be truly saved. But that's what the Bible says. When we are a new creature in Christ, we, we submit to Christ. We give him our all. He gave his all for us. And that is what we are supposed to do. That is exactly what God of grace demands for his spiritual children. For we are, we are his spiritual children. Right? Those who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 26 says, From Christ Jesus, you're all sons of God. Through faith through faith. Now, there are those who believe that everyone is a child of God. And I would say, okay, fair enough. God is our Father. He created us, and yes, all human beings are brothers and sisters in Christ, that we all share uh, the image of God in man. However, what this is talking about, spiritually speaking, spiritually speaking, we are sons and daughters of Christ if we're believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Uh, we become sons and daughters only by grace through faith. And this great gift is available to everyone of all races, nations, gender, or economic status. We do not become children of God in different ways because of these other differences. Okay? We cannot be too rich, too poor, too white, too black to be excluded from the family of God if we have faith in Jesus Christ. Christ. By the way, I just want to add that to be a child of God is, is not a privilege to be taken for granted. It comes with an awesome responsibility. An awesome responsibility. For example, Paul told the Ephesians, be imitators of me as beloved children. Be imitators of me as beloved children. We are, in this context, believers are to be, to imitate God's holiness in all of their conduct, all of our conduct. I mean, think about it. What is our mission statement? To live and to love like Jesus and help others to do the same. This is what we're supposed to do. And we can't do our vision statement to reach the world for Christ unless we're doing our mission statement. Because if we don't do this, we have no credibility in the world. So we must, we must strive to be like Christ. We must do this in order to do our vision statement. But how do we do this? It's not easy. Well, as you look at um, verses 26 through uh, 
4, 7, um, we see three characteristics that will show us how we are truly God's children. The first characteristic that shows we are a child of God is we are an illustration. First one, we are an illustration. Verse 27 says that for as many of you as were baptized in Christ have put on Christ. Okay? This is, this is not believer's water baptism. This is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, uh, according to Paul, joins all believers in Christ and unites them within the church, the body of Christ. And this union with him means being clothed with Christ. In other words, so much so that when we are seen, Christ is seen. When we are seen, Christ is seen. I think the, the ultimate compliment anyone can give to any Christian is, well, I see Christ in you. I see Christ in you. That's our goal, right, for people to see Christ in us. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And, and this context actually comes from the Roman culture. For when a Roman child came of age, he took off his garments of a child, and he put on the toga of adulthood. In the same way, baptism, uh, in baptism, the believer in Christ removes the old garment of the old life, its habits, its addictions, its attitudes, and replaces those garments with, um, by putting on Christ's attitudes, his service, all right? um, his love. All right? The old is gone, the new is here. And as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have to be different. We have to be different. We are children of God, and we have to be different. Okay, we are an illustration. By the way, we are an illustration one way or the other. We can either be a great illustration, or we could be a poor illustration. And, and, and think about that for a moment, because we read in the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 3, Jesus says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. In God's eyes, there's nothing worse than a lukewarm Christian. At least if you're cold, you're cold. You know? But if you're lukewarm, what are we doing? We have to be hot. We have to, be, we have to put on Christ. People have to see Christ in us. I am telling you, that is the only way we're going to reach the world from Waldorf for Jesus Christ, by putting on Christ and being Christ-like in everything that we do. We are an illustration. The second characteristic that shows we are a child of God is that we are an indivisible whole. We're an indivisible whole. Verse 28 says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for your for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul makes a very powerful point about the nature of those that belong to the kingdom of God. Remember, the Judaizers um, had restricted God's acceptance to those who um, either uh, were Jews or who would join Judaism by doing works of the law. But according to Paul, all human distinctions are done away with in Christ. The gospel is not for the select. The gospel is for everyone. And as Gentiles, we should say amen and thank God for that. It's for everyone. You know, back in Paul's day, 
This is what the rabbis would, would pray every single morning. This was a typical prayer of a rabbi. Blessed be God that he did not make me a Gentile. Blessed be God that he did not make me ignorant or a slave. And blessed be God that he did not make me a woman. Well, to answer this, Paul, Paul makes several points about that. Number one, cultural divisions are to have no part in the church. Cultural divisions are to have no part in the church. Paul was adamant that one did not have to become a Jew in order to become a Christian. The gospel was for everyone. It was available to the Jew and Gentile alike. No one was superior over the other, okay? That, that division was gone. Number two, Paul says, one's social status was irrelevant to acceptance in the church. Although Paul never seemed to deliberately uh, condemn slavery, he kind of begins to fight here. You know, some believe that in the Roman culture, it's estimated that 33% of Romans uh, of the population uh, were slaves. Wow. You know, some believe that some of the early church leaders would have been slaves. If this is correct, think about this. If this is correct, it would mean that some of the owners would have been put in the position they, they were to submit to the people they owned in context of the church. Wow. So Paul makes a point, and he makes it very strongly here, that whatever social divisions apply in the culture, they do not apply in the church. The slave and the free were equals within the church. Now finally, Paul talks about women. He makes the point that the concept of the inferiority of women and in in practice of sexual prejudice were to be eliminated from the church. Now, in that culture... Women were considered inferior. They were talked about in rude and condescending ways. According to um, Jewish law, they could not receive instruction from uh, uh, the Torah. Torah. They were not reliable witnesses in court. Basically, their only job was to tend to children, and that was it. But Paul begins to put aside that kind of thought when he places men and women on equal status as it relates to salvation. So Paul is saying that the differences in race, economic status, and gender are not valid indicators, indicators of one's spiritual standing before God. While we are all not identical, we are equals, okay? And together, we make a unified whole. That's the church. And finally, the third characteristic that shows that we are a child of God is that we are an, an inheritor. We have an inheritance. We are receivers of the promise to Abraham. When we are in Christ, we receive the promise given to Abraham. We are the blessed ones. We have become Abraham's inheritance. We become sons. The time of slavery is done away with. The time of Christ is the time of freedom. That's what Pastor Walker's been saying this whole book is about. It's about freedom. Freedom, okay? Verse, chapter 5, verse 13 says, you are called to freedom. Amen. Because we are not under the law. Again, we need to say praise God for that because we're not. Looking at chapter 4, I'd like to read um, 1 through 3 again. Now I'll touch on that. 
4 of verse 1 says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Hmm. That's interesting. Paul notes that we were slaves under the law. And Paul picks up on the leveling effects of childhood and talks about the rich kid who owns an entire estate, perhaps um, uh, by a trust that his father set up. It could be worth millions. But so long as he is a minor, the power and influence of his wealth makes him no different than the kid who doesn't doesn't have a dime to his name. A child has no appreciation for the benefit of his status. He couldn't make important legal decisions about his his estate even if he wanted to. He's not in control of his own life. He is told what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. And in, in a sense, he's no different than a slave child. And the Jews were like rich kids who were still minors. God never intended for his people to treat these laws as a means of salvation. The period of childhood was intended to make them yearn for freedom through Messiah and then to enjoy that freedom once they reached adulthood. But unfortunately, many that grew up under the law seemed to end up in bondage to it. But thankfully, thankfully, God didn't leave his people that way. Because when the time was right, God sent his son to adopt us as sons. Look what verse 4 says. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. This reference to the fullness of time means that it happened at just the right time. It was no accident that Christ was born when he was born. Think about this. For the first time since Babel, there was a relatively universal trade language, which was Greek. Due to Roman peace, which created uh, stability in the area, and the Romans just had an amazing ability to create uh, an incredible road system. Uh, travel was as easy at, as it's ever been in the history of mankind. Uh, there was a vast network of Jewish synagogues, gods, which provided a, a great vehicle um, for the eventual spread of Christianity. All these things made time ripe for the coming of Jesus Christ. Things were set in place for the coming of Jesus Christ. And you know the story. You know the story. God sent his son, and this son lived under the law, although not under sin, so that he could absorb the curse of the law, exhaust the fury of God's wrath, and redeem those under the law. And once the son had done this, the barrier was knocked down between God and his people. And because of this, we now possess a special intimacy with the father. We can call him Abba, Abba Father, which means Daddy. What a special, intimate relationship we can have with the living God. And to confirm our inheritance, we've been given the Spirit. He sent his Son that we might have the position of sonship, and he sent his Spirit that we might 
experience it. So what's the application here? Well, I think the first is there are benefits that come with being a child of God. The first is you've been given the same nature as the Father. We share in his nature. Just as you share the gene makeup of your parents, so do you share in the spiritual nature of your heavenly Father. This is something that a slave doesn't have, but we can have it as sons. We've been given equal status. The slave is not an equal. But when we come into the body of Christ, we all stand at the same level at the foot of the cross. We all have equal standing before God. And we've been given an amazing inheritance. While the slave is left destitute, we've been given an inheritance. We belong to the heavenly realms, which means we have access to all our Father's resources. And you know what? They're unlimited and they're eternal. We should rejoice in that. Think about that. Also, as a son, we can respond out of love. A slave can't do that. A slave responds out of fear. And maybe the most important thing, we possess a bright hope and a great future. A slave has no future. But that is not true of you who are God's children which is why we should all rejoice. Those who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we should rejoice in the fact that we are children of God. Amen. I want to share a story. I'm going to close here in a moment. I want to close with this story. Fred Craddock, while lecturing at Yale University, told of going back one summer to Gatlinburg, Tennessee, to take a short vacation with his wife. One night they found a quiet little restaurant where they looked forward to a a private meal, just the two of them. And while they were waiting for their meal, they noticed a distinguished-looking, white-haired man moving from table to table, visiting guests. Craddock whispered to his wife, I hope he doesn't come over here. He didn't want the man to intrude on their privacy. But the man did come by their table. Where are you folks from, he said. Oklahoma, splendid state, I hear, although I've never been there. What do you do for a living? Well, I teach homiletics at the graduate seminary of Phillips University. Ah, so you teach preachers, do you? Well, I've got a story I want to tell you. And with that, he pulled up a chair, sat down at the table with Craddock and his wife. Well, Dr. Craddock groaned inwardly. says, oh, no, here comes another preacher story. It seems like everyone has one. The man stuck out his hand. I'm Ben Hooper. I was born not far from here across the mountains. My mother wasn't married when I was born, so I had a hard time. When I started to school, my classmates had a name for me, and it wasn't a very nice name. I used to go off by myself at recess and during lunchtime because the taunt of my playmates cut me so deeply. What was worse was going downtown on Saturday afternoon and feeling every eye burning a hole through you. They were all wondering who my real daddy was. When I was about 12 years old, a new preacher came to our church. Now, I would always go in late and slip out early. But one day, the preacher said the benediction so fast, I got caught and had to walk out with the crowd. I could feel every eye in church on me. 
Just about the time I got to the door, I felt a big hand on my shoulder. I looked up, and the preacher was looking right at me. Who are you, son? Whose boy are you? I felt the old weight come on me. It was like a big black cloud. Even the preacher was putting me down. As he looked at me, studying my face, he began to smile a big smile of recognition. Wait a minute, he said. I know who you are. I see the family resemblance. You are a son of God. With that, he slapped me across the rump and said, Boy, you've got a great inheritance. Go claim it. The old man looked across the table at Fred Craddock and said, That was the most important single sentence ever said to me. With that, he smiled, shook the hands of Craddock and his wife, and moved on to another table. Suddenly, Fred Craddock remembered. On two occasions, the people of Tennessee had elected an illegitimate son to be their governor. One of them them was Ben Hooper, a man with a great inheritance. And so it is with you. Let's pray. Our Father, may we live as God's child. When people see us, I pray they see Christ. May we live as God's child and recognize that together we are a unified whole, regardless of our race or rank in society. And may we live as God's child and rejoice that we have received a great inheritance when we are in Christ. Father, thank you for the gift of salvation. In Jesus' name we pray.